All right, I'm very glad to be here with you this morning, and uh, I think we have um, in this class the most important, one of the most important parts of giving a Bible study, which is gaining decisions. And the title of our class is Making a Charge Against the Enemy, and you'll see why I called it that in a few minutes. Um, before we do, though, let's uh, have a word of prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we're so very grateful and thankful that you've brought us together here this morning. Uh, you have a special uh, plan for each of us. You have a message for each of us, Lord, to help us to be more effective at soul winning. Father, right now we ask for the gift of your Holy Spirit to be present with us, uh, fill each one of us, our hearts and our minds. Clear, we ask, that we would hear your voice. We pray for a special blessing here in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so making a charge against the enemy. We're going to be talking about gaining decisions. Now, it's specifically, well, not specifically, it's mainly for when you're giving Bible studies, but you can use this in many uh, different areas other than giving Bible studies. Now, this is my son and myself a few years ago. And you see the date here, September 3rd, 2001. Now, do you notice anything in the background of this picture here? That's right, the Twin Towers. I was there with my son the week before September 11th. And it was interesting because um, I was kind of a, a new, actually I wasn't even a Seventh-day Adventist yet. Well, brand new Seventh-day Adventist. And I had become a Christian in prison uh, about 15 years ago. And so I had just gotten out of prison a couple of years before that. And I made a friend in prison, a Seventh-day Adventist, that taught me the Bible. And he was from New York, the Bronx. So I would visit him often, and, uh, especially in the summertime, and take my son to visit him and his family. Now, we were there September 3rd. We were on top of this tower here. There's the twin. Anybody ever been to the Twin Towers? Now, one of the towers was, I forget if it was which one, but one was a little higher than the other. We were at the top of that tower, and I remember looking out, you know, when you're on the top of the towers, there was no gates or anything to hold you from jumping or whatever. And I remember being up there thinking, I would not want to be up here if something ever happened. Now, I had been working on my son to try and uh, bring Christ to him, and to introduce to him God, which was something new in our family. And his mom had kind of pulled all the seeds out that I had planted. And so I remember we were driving back. Now, I'm from Boston, and it's about a three-hour drive from New York to Boston. I was driving back that day, later on that day, and I remember I was praying Lord, help me to talk to my son about you, about something, but not, if I, if I mention God, it was going to turn him off. And right as I prayed that, I said, you know, my son's name is Kevin also. I said, Kevin, you know, something, is, something very, very bad is going to happen in this country very soon. And, and this is going to be uh, an integral part in last day events and, and in uh, ushering in Sunday worship law. This was on September 3rd. Now, of course, I, I had no idea what was about to happen, but we know exactly eight days later what happened, September 11th. And so I remember, as many of us remember that day, 
Uh, first, the South Tower got hit. And I remember uh, after the towers got hit, my son called me from school. And he said, Dad, did you see what's happening? And I said, yeah. And then, and then it dawned on me. I said, Kevin, what did I just say to you a week from today? What did I just say to you that something was going to happen? And there was dead silence on the phone and for about a minute. And then he said, well, we still don't have to go to church. And I said, well, Kevin, things are going to start to happen. And I remember the South Tower was hit first. And when that happened, the people in the North Tower began to get up from their cubicles and leave the building. But all of a sudden, the management came over all the intercom systems and told everybody to get back to their cubicles. Everything was going to be fine. Nothing to worry about. So as they got back to their cubicles, uh, we know then the North Tower was hit, and many people lost their lives in that North Tower. Now, when the South Tower got hit, they knew they should have left. They knew they should have got out of that building, but they listened to another voice, and they made the wrong... Oh, this thing is going to fall. They made the wrong decision. And in making the wrong decision, many people lost their lives. There was confusion in the building. People couldn't find the exits. And many, many people lost their lives in the tragedy at, um, on 9-11. Now, I remember some time went by. It was probably about a month and a half. And President Bush, in his address to the nation, said, Americans, it's time to get back to business as usual. Now, I remember hearing those words. And I remember thinking, now is not the time to get back to business as usual. Especially for Seventh-day Adventists, we should never get back to business as usual again. I remember reading a story in the Boston Herald some months after September 11th. And the headline story was, or it wasn't a headline story, but the story was um, a woman goes into a, uh, an office in Manhattan, pulls out a gun, shoots a woman, shoots a man and kills him, turns the gun on herself and kills herself. Now, that's not an uncommon story. We, unfortunately, we see that all the time. And so as I'm further reading the story, turns out it was a love triangle. The woman that she shot, the, the man she shot and killed was her husband. The woman was his lover. And again, that's not an uncommon story. But then as you read the story a little, little further, the real tragedy hit. All three of these people worked in the Twin Towers and were there on September 11th, and they all escaped. And here they are. And now she shoots this man and woman and kills herself. President Bush said, it's time for Americans to get back to business as usual. I disagree with him. Seventh-day Adventists should never get back to business as usual. Those people, especially in that North Tower, they made a decision that cost them their lives. Now, what we're talking about here today is that very thing. We are going to learn how to help people make decisions where the decision is life or death. And so this class is very, very important. It's very critical in giving Bible studies. Now this is um, Evangelism, page 297. It says, we are living in a perilous time, 
And we need that grace that will make us valiant and fight, turning the flight, turning to flight the armies of the aliens. Dear brother, you need more faith, more boldness and decision in your labors. You need more push and less timidity. Our warfare is aggressive. Your efforts are too tame. You need more force in your labor, else you will be disappointed in its results. There are times when you must make a charge against the enemy. This class is entitled, Making a Charge Against the Enemy. Ellen White says, in our efforts, we need more force, more, uh, our efforts are too tame. We need to be more forceful, for lack of a better word, in gaining decisions. And a lot of times in, in my own life as a Bible worker, especially in the beginning as a Bible worker, I was very timid when it came time to get decisions from people. You know, to give a Bible study is one thing, but then when it comes time to gain decisions, it gets kind of scary. And so we need to be uh, more aggressive in gaining decisions. Now, Ellen White says in Evangelism, page 298, how many of you own the book Evangelism? We need to get this book. The book of evangelism and the Bible uh, together should be our textbooks when it comes to soul winning. Uh, the book of evangelism, page 298, says, When persons who are under conviction are not brought to make a decision at the earliest period possible, there is danger that the conviction will what? Gradually wear away. So what we're going to talk about is, first of all, we're going to get into the ABCs of decision making. Now, you're going to see through this class that helping people make decisions is a very simple thing to do. We're gonna look at some very easy ways to, to help people. So we're gonna look at the ABCs of decision making. Let me ask you, how many of you were here yesterday? So those of you that weren't here yesterday, we gave some handouts and I don't see those here. Um, I, oh, we're all out, okay. Um, we're all out of the handouts, so if you know somebody with a handout, maybe you can uh, copy it. Two, Two left. <laughs> that could cause problems. <laughs> Two handouts left. Uh, Wes, I'll leave that up to you to, to give that. Uh, all the notes are in this and, and actually more notes. We're not actually going to go through that today. Uh, that was just some resource material, some material that I wanted you to have uh, along with this here. So the first is acceptance. Jesus accepted people where they were. Now, many examples of this in the Bible, the woman at the well, uh, she was a social outcast. She had five husbands and she was living with another man that was not her husband. In spite of that, Jesus accepted her, accepted her where she was and then uh, brought her further. Uh, also, the, we think of the woman caught in adultery. I mean, that woman was guilty. She was caught in the very act of adultery, and Jesus accepted her as well. So there's two ingredients in acceptance. Now, uh, and, and we're going to have a question and answer period at the end of this class. And so if you have any questions during this presentation, or if something wasn't clear, then write yourself a note, and then in the next class you can ask that question. So the first ingredient is agreement. So in gaining decisions, we have to find areas that we can agree with the people. So when we're giving a Bible study, we want to agree with the people. I know Wes talked about this a little bit yesterday. Uh, what if somebody in your Bible study 
talks about the secret rapture. You know, of course, we don't want to hit that um, too early, but how can we agree with somebody on the secret rapture? Jesus is coming, right? So we can, we can say, you know, like Wes gave the example, you know, I too look forward to the time when Jesus comes. Or how can we agree with somebody on the state of the dead when a woman comes into your work and she uh, just lost her mom and she says, you know, I take great comfort in knowing that my mom is sitting at the right hand of God right now looking down on me. You know, that's not a good time to pull out your Bible and, and show the state of the dead. The dead know nothing. Right? That wouldn't be a good time. So how can we agree with that woman without agreeing with the error? So again, we could talk about the second coming. We could say, you know, I too can't wait until uh, the Christ comes a second time. The Bible tells us that the graves are going to be open and we will be reunited with our loved ones. And so we want to find areas of agreement uh, with the people because really, here's, here's what happens. We can win, as Seventh-day Adventists, we can win every single doctrinal argument. Do you agree with that? Every doctrinal argument, we can win. We have the truth, we have the Bible to prove everything, but in winning the argument, we can lose the soul. And I have done that uh, many times. As a matter of fact, with this agreement, when I first became an Adventist, or even before I was an Adventist, I learned the message. I would, when I would talk to people about the Bible, I would search for things that we didn't agree on and then hit those things to, to prove the truth from the Bible. Well, I will tell you, this doesn't work. So we want to do the opposite. We want to look for areas that we can agree with so that when it comes time for the testing truths, then they'll be able to accept those uh, much easier. Here Ellen White says in Evangelism, page 141, agree with the people on every point where you can consistently do so. Let them see that you love their souls and want to be in harmony with them as so far as possible. So we want them to see that we love them and we want to agree on every area that we possibly can. Now, um, the second ingredient in, um, is approval. Now, an example is the centurion. Now, the centurion in Matthew 8, 10 was despised by the Jewish people. He was not a Jew. He was a Roman soldier. Now, the, the Jews hated the Romans. He was despised by the Jewish leaders. Yet Christ found something to approve in him. He approved of his faith. And so we want to um, make sure we can find things to approve of. Now, how about an example of this? And I'm gonna, the, the examples that I'm gonna use in this presentation are the ones that I've failed in, the, the mistakes that I've made. Now let's say you have a family member that is gonna get married. Let's say it's a sister or, or whatever, a family member, she's gonna get married to a man that is not a Seventh-day Adventist. Matter of fact, he's not even a Christian. Now, would it be best for us to not go to that wedding because we don't approve of that marriage? Or would it be best for us to go to the wedding and show your love for that family member in spite of this huge mistake she may be making? What do you think? Absolutely, you should go to the wedding. Now, I made this mistake. I had a friend um, that was marrying somebody that he shouldn't have been marrying, and I didn't agree with that, and so I didn't go to the wedding. 
And that closed the door uh, to me, uh, at least for, for the time being, to reach that person. Uh, by not going to the wedding and showing, I thought I was doing the right thing by showing my disapproval of the marriage and instead what that did was it closed the door and I was not able to talk uh, to him about the Bible anymore. And so we want to try to show approval of people. If, if I go to the wedding, I'm not approving of the wedding, but I'm just showing him that I love him and I love her and so I want to show approval. Now, then we move to belief. We want to believe that people are winnable, right? That we want to see the potential in, in God's eyes uh, with these people. Now we look at the story in Mark chapter 5. Jesus saw the demoniac. He saw the potential in the demoniac and he was actually the very first missionary that he sent out. Now I remember I was working as a Bible worker in the Boston area and I was doing some door knocking and I come across this little uh, cul-de-sac area. And I remember I, as I knocked on this one door, this young man answers the door. And he looked really young. And so I'm going through, I have this canvas and, and survey, and it was a religious survey. And as he opened the door, I could smell marijuana come out. And I could see his eyes were red. And he looked really young. I said, is your mom home? And he kind of looked at me. He said, my mom? I don't live with my mom. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, how old are you? And he said, 24. And I said, oh, well, I th I'm sorry, you looked a lot younger. So I said, I went through the canvas, and, and I said, I'd love to give you this survey. And because it was a religious survey, and he said, sure. So I remember I get to the first question, do you believe in God? Yes. Then, uh, is there a Bible in your house? And he said, yeah, there's a Bible in my house. I said, how often do you get a chance to read it? And he said, well, here's the thing, you know, I try to read it, but I can't understand a thing in, in the Bible. And so I kind of chuckled a little bit. I said, you might want to lay off the weed because <laughs> that's all I could smell. And he, and he kind of shut the door behind him. He said, oh, you can smell that? And I said, yeah, yes, I can. And so he just kind of smiled and was embarrassed. And I sh obviously shouldn't have said that. But um, so, so I <laughs> began, I, I kept going on in the, in the survey. And I get to the last question, if you had the opportunity, would you like to better understand the Bible? And he said, yes. Now, to be honest with you, as soon as he answered the door and I smelled the marijuana and I saw that he was, he was high, I, I wasn't thinking I was gonna get a Bible study with this guy, ye of little faith. And so he says, sure, I'd love to better understand the Bible. So I get the Bible study with him and still in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I'm gonna come back next week and he's gonna blow me off. Well, I go back next week, and sure enough, I knock on the door, ring the bell, knock on the door, ring the bell, nobody answers. And so, you know, it kind of confirmed what I already believed, and so I got in my car, and I said, I'm just gonna wait for a few minutes. So as I was waiting, a truck comes flying into the driveway, screeching in, and Sean, this young man, jumps out, and he starts running to his door, and I got out of my car, I said, Sean, and he looked, he said, oh, you're still here. And I thought, wow, praise the Lord, I wasn't expecting this. And I said, you remember we had a Bible study? He said, yeah, I'm sorry, I was late at work and tried to get home as fast as I could. So we go in his house and he's got his cousin there. Now I'm ringing the bell and knocking on the door for like five minutes and nobody answers. His cousin's laying on the couch, smells like marijuana again, and his cousin's watching cartoons. Now I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking, oh boy, this is gonna be interesting. So I introduced myself to his cousin and he's kind of rough looking and um, 
So I sit down at the kitchen table with Sean and I said, Jim, would you like to join us in the Bible study? Uh, you know, because I was thinking he's got the cartoons on and it's awful loud. It's going to be a distraction. I said, Jim, you want to join us in the Bible study? He looked, he said, sure, why not? So he gets up, he sits down and joins us in the Bible study. And here I am in a house that smells like weed, marijuana. And we begin studying. And it was the best Bible study I had ever been a part of. They had more questions, sincere questions, than anyone I've ever studied with. And they were just so excited about that Bible study, Daniel 2. And at the end of the study, I gave them the next study, and, and they were excited that, that I was coming back the following week. So I come back the following week, and they're waiting for me. They said, Kevin, we, we've been waiting for you. We, we have so much to tell you. So many things happened in our life this week. How God answered prayers. So they started telling me how God was answering their prayers. Second week, now I don't recommend this. I never, ever do this. Second week, we get into health. They started asking me questions about, about health. Now, they both smoked. They smoked marijuana, but also they smoked cigarettes. And so they said, Kevin, um, is it okay for us to smoke cigarettes as Christians? Now, Jim, the cousin, was a little older. He had become a Christian in prison years ago. And I said, well, what do you think? And they said, well, probably not. I said, yeah, you're right. God doesn't, we went to the body temple and, and so they said, that's it, we're gonna quit smoking. Week two. And, and so Jim, kinda, I can see the wheels turn and he goes, well, if God doesn't want us smoking cigarettes, he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out uh, a joint and he says, how about marijuana? I said, well, Jim, you tell me. And he thought about it and he looked at Sean and they, they said, yeah, he, God doesn't want to smoke a marijuana either. We're going to quit. And so we had this study. So one thing led to another. We got into unclean foods. Now, I don't recommend this. Uh, this is the only time this has ever happened to me. So the next week I come back, week number three, they said, Kevin, we were waiting for you. We can't wait to tell you. You know, last week after, you, after we had the Bible study, we decided that we're going to give up everything. So we threw out all our cigarettes, we went through the house, we got all our drugs and our paraphernalia, and we threw it all out. Then we went into the kitchen, and we opened up our refrigerator, and then we, for the, we never realized this, but every single thing in our refrigerator was unclean. And so we cleaned out the whole refrigerator, we cleaned out our cabinets, we threw everything away. Then we realized we had a problem. We didn't have any money. <laughs> And so we just decided, well, this is what God wants. We're going to pray about it. And they said, Kevin, every day this week in work, somebody has given us food we never had to ask. And they even gave us food to take home. Now, what do you think happened with those two young men? They were on fire. And we studied for a couple of months before the series that we had. And so as I promoted the series, they said, Kevin, we don't want to just come to the series. We want to help. We, we, we can't just come. And so I had them, too, uh, in the front greeting people. They were the happiest people <laughs> in the whole series. They greeted, and then come time for the sermon, they came in. Both of them got baptized, Jim and Sean. Two young guys smelling like weed, and, and I learned a lesson. I needed to believe that every person I come in contact with, I need to believe that God is going to change them. And so I learned a, a very good lesson. So the, the B and the ABCs is to 
believe that people are winnable. In spite of their circumstances, no matter where they are, they are winnable. Then we need to have confidence. We need to live like, like failure is impossible. Now, the opposite of this would be, now, when it comes to gaining decisions, a lot of times we, the way we, we speak shows that we're really not confident they're going to make a decision. And if that happens, you can actually um, reverse the decision that they're going to make. So an example, let's say you're studying with somebody on the Sabbath and it comes time for the decision. And so I'm really nervous. And so I say, you know, uh, you know, Jim, uh, I know this is going to be a very difficult decision for you. And, and you know, you're probably not going to want to make this decision. Uh, and, you know, uh, I don't know about, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be some big changes. Um, what do you say? Do you want to keep the Sabbath? So right then, without having confidence, I've just maybe put doubt in that person's mind. And so the same thing can happen when you go door to door. I remember I was working in Denver and uh, we were taking church members out door to door and we were actually giving them leads that we had. And so it was easier for the church members rather than going to cold doors. So we had this good lead and went with this church member and we uh, went to this woman's house where we had the Bible study lead and we got the Bible study and she was really, it was a good, it was a good lead. So a few, so I gave that to the, to the church member. Now a few weeks go by and I checked with the church member, hey, how's the Bible study going with so-and-so? Oh, we never really, we never got to study. I said, what, what do you mean? Oh, I just keep going back week after week. And I oh, is she, she not home? No, she's home. I just, she, she just never, it's always a bad time and can never get the study. So I said, well, let's go today. So we went to this woman's house and as we get out of our car, she's walking towards us. And I remember saying to the church member, I said, don't say anything, let me, let me do the talking. So as we're walking, we're approaching her, the church member yells out, hi, we'll say her name is Mary. Hi, Mary, um, I know this is probably a bad time. I know you're very busy and, and it looks like you're on your way out. I know this, this probably isn't gonna work, but, and, I, and I'm standing there and I'm, I'm thinking, oh Lord, please help us. And what did that woman do? Her lack of confidence Re showed in the way she was talking to this woman and so she's giving this woman all these excuses on why she shouldn't be studying the Bible and so I tried to jump in and and clean it up but but it was kind of too late and the lady said yeah it is it is kind of a bad time and so we never got a Bible study with that woman so not only at the in the Bible studies but it at the door-to-door -door, you can actually instead of getting a Bible study you can actually talk somebody out of it if we're not confident so we want to um, we want to be confident um, when it comes to decisions. And so here we have Christ Object Lessons, page 363. Now this is powerful when you really understand what, what um, Ellen White is saying. When we give ourselves wholly to God and in our work follow His direction, He makes Himself responsible for its accomplishment. Not once should we think of failure, we are to cooperate with one who knows no failure. So as we are cooperating with Christ, Christ doesn't know failure. He never failed. And so when we understand what is really being said here, then there's no reason why we shouldn't be confident. Amen? Because Christ makes himself responsible. 
If we're connected to Christ and we do what Christ asks us to do in going door to door or studying or however we're going to reach somebody, then the results are up to him. So if somebody says no uh, to me, they're not saying no to me, they're saying no to Christ. And so we want to uh, be confident. Now, how often should we think of failure? Never. Not once, right? Not once should we think of failure. So if we can really get that inside of our minds, then we certainly will be more confident. So it's accept people where they are, agreeing on all points as possible while expressing approval, believe that they are genuine, believe that they are winnable, and see the potential in people, and then confidently expect them to make the right decision. So we want to live as soul winners like failure is impossible. Amen. Now let's look at the decision-making process. Now we have four areas here. Information, conviction, desire, and action. So one leads to the next, which leads to the next, which leads to the action. So we're going to take a look at this, each one of them, point by point. First we'll look at information. Now when it comes to gaining decisions, we of, of course first have to provide adequate information. So one cannot make an educated decision without being what? Educated. So I can't make an educated decision if I have not been educated. Calling for a decision before giving adequate information will erect barriers. So if I haven't given the proper information to somebody and then I try to get a decision, then what's going to happen is a barrier is going to go up because they don't have the proper information. So we want to make sure the information is clear and adequate. Now, we want to avoid what is called information overload. So if somebody receives too much information too fast, they, they're not going to be able to process it. And it's what we call information overload. Now, let me give you an example of this. I told you I became a Christian in prison. And I learned the Adventist message in prison. And one of the messages that I loved, I loved them all, but at the time, uh, one of my favorite was the state of the dead. Now, I had always, I had grown up in the Catholic Church, and I had always believed that when you die, well, actually, we didn't know what we believed when we die as Catholics. You know, purgatory, or limbo, or heaven, or hell, or all that stuff. So this was a very interesting topic for me. So God opened the doors for me to give a group Bible study in prison through the chaplain. And I was really nervous. I was scared to death. Anybody nervous to give Bible studies? Man, you were not more nervous than I was. I had a public speaking phobia, and, and so, man, so the Lord worked. So here I have this opportunity to give a group Bible study in prison. And so I decided I'm gonna give it on the state of the dead. Now we're talking about information overload. How many texts are there in the Bible that say that death is asleep? Anybody know? 53. Guess how many of those I hid in our one-hour Bible study? <laughs> 53. <laughs> you know, I thought, well, you know, the more the better. I'm going to prove from the Bible that uh, the state of the dead, we sleep when we die. And I began to notice about 15 minutes into this study that I was losing people. As I would go from text to text to text to text, people were trying to keep up, and finally I saw people just closing their Bibles in disgust because they couldn't keep up. I'm trying to get all 53 in one hour, and so I'm rattling them off, and I experienced this information overload. 
And so we want to um, avoid that. Now also, another way we can avoid that, so in giving a Bible study, you obviously don't want to give 50 texts. You know, Wes talked about this yesterday. Uh, you want to just, uh, Annie as well talked about this, depending on your circumstance, but on a regular Bible study, if you're studying every week, 10, 11, 12 is, is plenty of Bible texts. Um, so also you want to present testing truths gradually. Now, I remember after I um, got out of prison, you know, I, I learned the Adventist message, and man, I was on fire. I wanted to convert the world, and I was going to start with my family. And so what did I do with my family? The first topics I hit with my Catholic family were the Pope is the Antichrist, <laughs> Sunday's the wrong day, and stop eating the pork chops and shellfish and <laughs> in New England, by the way. Shellfish is, New England is shellfish. And so uh, guess how many of those family members I won? <laughs> None. And so we want to present truth gradually. Now, I didn't understand, you know, the, the things that I was teaching, trying to teach my family, I, they were exciting for me. But that's because there was a foundation with me. When I learned them, I didn't learn those things first, and I didn't understand that you need to build the foundation. And so we want to present testing truths gradually when we're studying with people. Now, uh, also to avoid information overload, we want to make regular appeals. Now, every time you study the Bible with somebody, you should get a decision out of them. Now, you're at you should at least make appeals for decisions. Now, in your Bible studies, what you want to do is you want to have little decisions a couple of them through your Bible study so that at the end you can get a bigger decision. And so then each study you're going to be getting bigger and bigger decisions as you continue to study with people. So the opposite of this would be um, what I did when I first started studying with people when I got out of jail is I went through a whole series of lessons with this, with this one young man, uh, a visitor in the church. And then at the end of that series of lessons, I asked him for a decision to accept everything, the whole ball of wax. Now, do you think that person made that decision? No, he couldn't. Now, uh, another mistake I think we make is we don't, get, we don't ask anybody for decisions until we get to testing truths, like the Sabbath. So the first decision we try to get out of somebody is the Sabbath. And so if we don't make regular appeals for decisions every week, then the people don't get used to making decisions. So then all of a sudden, on the Sabbath, we try to get a decision, and it kind of, it doesn't flow. It kind of, they take a step back. And so we want to make regular appeals um, throughout our time that we're studying with people. Now, what would be a, a, a small decision in a Bible study? Let's say we're studying... Um, Let's say we're studying Daniel 2. Now, a small decision, smaller, leading up to a bigger one, you could talk about, now Daniel 2, we could, we could take in many different directions. Uh, we could in Daniel 2, I always like to talk about um, this religious deception. And I believe in Daniel chapter 2, the door opens wide open for us to talk about religious deception when Nebuchadnezzar was deceived by his wise men. So let's say we take that angle. Then we go to Matthew 24, 24. The, there's going to be a great deception in the last days in the, guy, in the context of religion. 
and it's going to deceive even the very elect if possible. So then I would say, if I was studying with, uh, with Dwight here, I would say, Dwight, um, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be deceived in these last days, especially when it comes to religion. Do you want to be deceived in, those, in the last days? No. So how are we going to know we're not going to be deceived? By checking everything by the Word of God. Is that what you want to do, Dwight? Yes, Dwight wants to. What's he going to say? No, I don't want to check everything with the Word of God. Of course he's going to say yes. So I got a little decision out of him that will help me when it comes to the end of the Bible study for a bigger decision. You know, do you want to be ready for the second coming of Christ? And so you want to get little decisions um, that lead up to bigger decisions. Now, we want to avoid something that's called program non-response. Now, it's, uh, we put here this phenomenon occurs when one does not act on information. So program non-response. If I don't ask for decisions when I'm studying with somebody, then what we're actually doing is programming them to not respond. So when I finally ask for that decision, I've already programmed them to not respond to that decision. And so I remember I was in a, and, and re, always remember this, people want to make decisions. You know, we get nervous about asking decisions from people, but people actually want to make decisions. I was sitting in a church service in a large um, Adventist church, and I remember I was sitting next to a young man, and I didn't know this young man, and at the end of the sermon, I could tell he was really frustrated. And I said, brother, are you okay? And he said, no. And I said, what's, what's wrong? He said, every week I come to this church and the pastor never asks for a decision. He never makes an altar call and he never asks for a decision. And he just got up and walked out. And people want to make decisions. We tend to forget sometimes that the Holy Spirit is working on people, convicting people. And so when people, when the Holy Spirit is working on them, they want to make decisions. And so um, we want to avoid program non-response, okay? So if we were to study a whole, how many of you have heard of people that have been studying the Bible with church members for three years and they're still not members? Anybody heard of that? I hear of that all the time. And I know one of the main reasons is because what I did, I would study and study with people and never ask them for a decision. And so then you have a series and so-and-so, uh, you come to so-and-so and you ask him why he hasn't been baptized. And he said, well, nobody's ever asked me. And so um, as a matter of fact, I remember you guys heard of Tyler Long. Tyler Long is an evangelist for Amazing Facts. And he went to a series of public meetings in a church and uh, he was the only visitor coming and night after night he was coming nobody ever asked for a decision no decision cards at the toward the end of the series he wanted to get baptized and nobody even approached him and asked him and so finally he kept going to that church and sometime later finally he approached the pastor and said i want to get baptized how do i do that and uh, tyler got baptized and now he's an evangelist for amazing facts and so people want to make decisions right so we want to um, avoid program non-response. Now, conviction. So we go from information to conviction. When conviction is disregarded, when evidence is rejected, men are forced to take a positive, active, uh, a position of active opposition and stubborn resistance. 
So now, um, how do we help somebody in this situation? Let's say somebody rejects the information that we've given in the study. How can I help somebody um, to turn that around? Now, I was studying the Bible with somebody in California, and this very thing happened. Every week I'm studying with this young lady, and I was bringing a church member in with me, and I, re I recommend that if you're studying the Bible with the opposite sex, that if at all possible, bring somebody in with you. So I'm studying with this young lady, and week after week, she was, she was a very quiet, very kind of timid young lady, and she would look like she was in deep thought all the time. So whenever I would try to get a decision out of her, she would just give me a, a blank stare. And I remember like one time I asked for a decision and she's just staring. And so I did one of these after about a minute, literally a minute, and she kind of snapped out of it. And so I asked her, she would never give me a positive decision. And so one week I was studying with her and I just really felt a strong conviction to make an appeal for her to invite Christ into her life. So I made that appeal and she thought and thought and thought and then finally she looked at me and she said no. And I remember I didn't know what to do. You know, that had never happened to me before. And so I was just like, oh. Um, and so we just kind of went along with the rest of the study. And I left that day and I remember talking with the church member and I said, what in the world, what is going on? For some reason, I, for some reason I can't connect. I can't get through, there's a wall there. And so she, she took this active stance against um, the decision, opposition she was showing. And so we decided we were gonna fast and pray for her. Now I studied with her on Mondays. Sunday night I get a phone call from the church member. And she says, Kevin, um, did you hear about, uh, we'll call her Jane, that's not her name. Did you hear about Jane? I said, no. She said, well, her house got robbed today. And I said, oh, no, that's terrible. I said, what, what did they take? She said, well, actually, she didn't believe in putting money in the bank. And so she kept it in a safe in her house. So she had her money for the last 13 years in this safe in the house. And apparently it wasn't a safe that was a big, heavy, they stole the safe. And I thought, oh, Lord, oh, she'll never, she'll never accept you now. I mean, how could she? And so I remember I hung up the phone and I went for a walk and I was just praying, Lord, how could you let this happen? And, and, and I'm praying for her and then I felt this peace. And I, I knew that God was in control, so he allowed this to happen for a reason. We go back in there the next day and of course we're talking about what happened and the Lord led me to, to different verses and I made the appeal before we even had the Bible study to accept Christ into her life. And she said yes. That was the first decision I had ever gotten out of her. How did that happen? As we were praying for her, God moved. He allowed her to get her money taken. Apparently that was stopping her somehow from making a decision. And so how do we help somebody that's uh, stubbornly resisting? First of all, we want to pray for them. The biggest thing we could ever do is is pray for people. Now, another thing we can do is, uh, so we have information, conviction, then we come to desire. Another thing, if somebody is resisting, 
then Annie talked about this um, yesterday. It's what we call salting the oats. You know, we can lead the horse to the water, but we can't make them drink. But what can we do? We can pour salt on their oats. And what happens if we pour salt on their oats? They're going to get thirsty, right? And so when there's uh, information, conviction, then we want to help them to have the desire to take action. And so um, let me give you an example of this. I'll give you a couple of examples of this. Let me say this. When you're giving a Bible study, for me, I think this is one of the most critical things you can do is learn how to be good at salting the oats. Why? Let's say, let's say I study um, the Bible with Julie and I give the worst, the driest Bible study that has ever been given and I have given some of those. If I can salt the oats good, then she's going to want me to come back. Example. So let's say Julie's a Christian. She is a Christian. But let's say she's a, a Baptist. And so week number one, I come in and we start talking and we're um, socializing and then we start talking. I say, Julie, you know, um, we're going to be looking at things in the Bible like the mark of the beast. Have you ever heard of the mark of the beast? Oh, sure. Well, you know, why is it I go into one church and they'll say the mark of the beast is a barcode? You go into another church, the mark of the beast is a tattoo. Another church, it's a social security number. All these different ideas in the Christian churches on what the mark of the beast is. Now, in the book of Revelation, God gives us the strongest warning in the entire Bible, do not receive the mark of the beast. If you receive the mark of the beast, you're going to receive the wrath of God unmingled with his mercy. The strongest warning in the whole Bible. Do you think God doesn't want us to know what the mark of the beast is? Of course he does. He's, God has showed us in the Bible clearly what the mark of the beast is. And so at that point, Julie's going to be like, well, what's the mark of the beast? Hold on, Julie, we're going to study that. We have a whole lesson coming up on that, and you are going to see clearly from the Bible what the mark of the beast is so that you won't be deceived. So now I give this boring, dry Bible study, but Julie wants to know what the Bible says about the mark of the beast, so she's going to want me to come back next week. I was working in right here in Kentucky, as a matter of fact, a couple years ago, and I was taking one of my Bible workers out door to door, and we come to this complex. We come to this complex, and she knocks on this door, and this young man answers the door. And I'm, as the door's open, I can see he's got a girl on the couch. He's got uh, a little boy there. The music is blaring. He's smoking. He's got a beer in his hand. And the Bible worker is going through the canvas with him. And I'm watching this, and he's like looking back, and he's not paying attention to her. And, and so she, she goes into the survey. Now I can tell he's clearly not interested. And so comes to the last question, if you had the opportunity, would you like to better understand the Bible? He said, look, it, I just don't have time. Well, the Bible worker was persistent. And he said no again, and she was persistent. Finally, he says, look it, I'll give you one shot. You guys come back, or right, you can come back one shot I'm giving you. And so the Bible worker said, praise the Lord. And, you know, we got the, we got the, she got the Bible study with him. Now we come back the next week as we're walking up the stairs. She says, Kevin, I feel like you should give this Bible study. And I said, okay. So we go in there and he's in there with his girlfriend. They both have their Bibles, which again was to my surprise. And 
After socializing a few minutes, I could tell there's some issues that this young man has with religion. And he's a Catholic, and he had gone to Catholic schools and had some serious problems in the Catholic schools. So as we're, we begin to study, I can tell he's very resistant and he's kind of argumentative. And he's asking questions that are difficult questions. And so finally, he hadn't done the lesson that we had left with him. Finally, I stopped the lesson. I said, Tim, I'll tell you what. Why don't we just talk for a little while? I'll answer some questions if I can, the best I can. And then next week when we come, we'll get back into this lesson. And let me tell you about this lesson. And I really pumped up the lesson. And he said, really, that's in this lesson? I said, oh, man, this is a great lesson. So next week when we come, you watch and see. You're going to love this. And I knew he said you have one shot. So he said, yeah, okay, let's do that. So we stayed another 10 minutes, just answered questions. We go back next week. He did the lesson. He invited a friend. And so we're, we're in the lesson, and I start salting the oats for next week's lesson. And I said, Tim, you are going to love next week's lesson. And it's on the second coming. I mean, on the signs of the second coming. Talked about things that were happening today, how it's in the Bible. He said, wow, that, that's in next week's lesson? I said, yeah, but when, wait till we come next week, and we'll get into that. You have one shot. So he said, yeah, okay. So next week, we're in there the third week. So in the third week, he said something. I'll never forget. He invites another friend. So at, before we start studying, he said, Kevin, I don't understand this. I don't know if you remember, but when you guys came to my door, I said, I'm giving you one shot. I said, yeah, I think I remember something like that. <laughs> and, he, and he says, but now this is all I can think about. He says, this is all I talk about in my work. And that was obvious because he was inviting people from his work. And, and he was another one that I couldn't get decisions out of. Every week as we studied, I would get decisions out of everybody, but not him. I was impressed one week to talk about the Holy Spirit. And so I talked about the Holy Spirit and the power that the Holy Spirit gives us to overcome sins. And he was drinking, he smoked and different things. And I made the appeal at the end of that study to invite the Holy Spirit into his life. And he said, yes, first decision. The next week we come and it's on salvation. And Tim invited Christ into his life for the first time. And I know that that wouldn't have been possible if I had not salted the oats each week on the next week's study. And so I cannot express the importance when you're studying the Bible with somebody to really salt the oats because that will really get people interested in the upcoming lessons. So this will heighten the desire um, also to make a decision. And as Annie said, we are, the Bible tells us we are what? The salt of the earth. And what does the salt do? It makes people thirsty for the gospel. And so we want to salt the oats. Now, when we're um, creating a desire to take action, which is the next thing, we want to create a desire for somebody to follow what they've been learning. So we want to present the benefits of right doing and the consequence, right doing, the consequences of wrongdoing. Now, what we want to do is what we call mini-max. So we want to talk about the benefits. We want to maximize the benefits, and we want to uh, minimize the risk. Now, example. Let's say I'm studying with Orsi here on the Sabbath, and I get to the decision time, and... 
I start talking about, uh, as I'm trying to get the decision, I say, you know, Orsi, if you make this decision, you're probably going to lose your job. I understand that. You know, you may lose your husband. You know, he's a Baptist. He's, he's a faithful Baptist. You may lose your husband. You're probably going to lose all your friends from your church that you've grown up in. And, you know, it's not going to be easy. Your life is going to be turned upside down. But praise the Lord, you're going to be keeping the Sabbath. Now, is, is Orsi going to make that decision to keep the Sabbath? Probably not. We want to do the opposite. We want to maximize the benefits. Talk about the benefits of keeping the Sabbath. Talk about the benefits of inviting Christ into your life. The benefits of joining the remnant church. And we want to minimize the risk. And uh, we can easily do that. With the Sabbath, we could talk about many benefits of, of keeping the Sabbath, whether it's scientifically or personal on a personal level. We can certainly um, spend an hour talking about the benefits. You know, you could talk about what a blessing it would be to be keeping the Sabbath with your family, taking that 24-hour-a-week um, time with God. Think of how happy that makes God. To, to keep the Sabbath, for God to know that we want to spend this time with Him. Think of how happy that makes God. Think of all the activities we can do as a family on the Sabbath day. So we could go on and on and on, um, maximizing the benefits. Now, this I threw in here because this drives me crazy, if I can say that. This drives me crazy when I see miserable Adventists. You know, Seventh-day Adventists should be the happiest people on the planet. Amen? God has chosen us to be a part of this remnant church. He hasn't chosen me because I'm better than anyone. Certainly not. He hasn't chosen us. The Adventists are not better than anyone on this planet. But God has chosen us to be his special people, and he's given us a special message that he has not given to anyone else on this planet. And we have the privilege of sharing this message with the world. Not only does this message transform our hearts, but God has given us the privilege to help transform other hearts. So Mrs. White says this in Evangelism, page 488. I love this quote. We may be cheerful. God does not want any sour faces on this ground. The Lord does not want anyone in gloom and sadness. He wants you to lift up your countenance to him and let him pour upon it the brightness of the light of the Son of Righteousness. Amen? Now, when it comes to studying with people, when it comes to going door to door, one of the easiest ways to break down a barrier at the door is a great smile. The opposite would be gloom and doom at the door. Hi, my name is Kevin, and this is my friend Julie, and we're with GYC. You know, who's going to want you to come into their house like that? I wouldn't. It would be depressing. Now, in the study, you want to be joyful, happy. We should be happy, right? Right? Now, when you're trying to get decisions out of people, why on earth, if I've been miserable every week, would, would somebody want to make a decision and, and do the things that I'm doing if, if I'm miserable? So we want to, uh, let me give you an example of this. <laughs> I was at an ASI convention, and there was a person that was promoting their, their ministry. Now, you familiar with ASI? ASI, Adventist Layman Services and Industries. So the, an incredible organization worldwide. They do more 
to, to, for evangelism and young people and, and winning souls than I think any organization in our church. So this person stands up and she's promoting her, her um, ministry so that people will fund it. And so the person gets up and I won't tell you their name and they said, oh, this ministry is so exciting. <laughs> but we don't have time to talk about it right now. And I want to tell you about this other ministry we're doing. It is even more exciting. <laughs> but we don't have time to talk about that either. So if you'd like to help sponsor these exciting projects, see so-and-so. And then she sat down. And I remember I was sitting on the front row with someone else. And we looked at one another. And we looked at this person and thought, Oh, Lord, you have not just convinced me that this is an exciting ministry. And so, praise the Lord, God was good. She got the money she was looking for. But we want to be happy. And if I have an ex some excitement, I'm, the Adventist message is exciting. Amen? Amen? It is exciting. Now, how many of you grew up in the church? Wow. I didn't grow up in the church. And, you know, when I learned this message, wow, I mean, it... There is power in this message, and it is exciting. And so we should, we should show some excitement and happiness, and we should be the happiest people on the planet. And that will help somebody to take action on what we're sharing with them. So when conviction and desire are heightened, a person will what? Will take action. Now, uh, we will always want to lift up Christ, Christ crucified, talk it, pray it, sing it, and it will break hearts, uh, break and win hearts. And that's what we want to do. As we're presenting Christ, then we are going to melt hearts and they are going to want to follow. Uh, if we're happy, if we're creating a desire, then they will want to follow that conviction. Now, decisions require uh, intelligent decisions require adequate and accurate information confidence in the source of the information and then motivation getting to the heart speak to their heart more than their intellect let them feel that you are gen that you genuinely care about them and want them to make a choice that is for their best interest now when it comes to making decisions i will say this the Bible studies, when you're, when you're trying to win people, Bible studies, doctrines are secondary. Winning their heart should be our main thing that we're doing. Becoming friends with people. If you're studying the Bible, you become friends with them. Then you will, it will be so much easier for them to make a decision for testing truth if they know that you care about them and if they know that you love them. So if we make friends with them, we win their heart, then the decision will become much easier for them. You know, you've heard the saying, people don't care about how much you know until they know how much what? How much you care. So if the people know, if you're studying the Bible with somebody and you've really made friends with them, then when it comes time for decisions, those decisions will come much easier. Now, we want to find a story in the Bible that best fits, best relates to the situation the people are in. And find a Bible verse where Jesus asked them to make a decision. And then share a Bible story and apply it to their life. So example. Let's say somebody's struggling with the decision. Easiest one to, to, to use is Sabbath again. Let somebody, because it's a, it's a tough decision for people. 
Let's say we're, we just studied the Sabbath with somebody and they're struggling a bit with this decision. Now, spiritual decisions are between Christ and Satan. They're vertical, they're not horizontal. So we need to use the Bible to, to gain decisions. So a good story for Sabbath would be Genesis chapter 12. God asks Abraham to pack up and leave his country, leave everything he knew and follow him. Now Abraham didn't know where he was going, didn't know what this was gonna lead to, but God said, if you follow me, I will bless you. Now what does God say about the Sabbath? If you keep it, I will bless you. You know, it's interesting, he doesn't say if you, if you don't murder, I'll bless you. If you don't steal, I'll bless you. He said, if you keep the Sabbath, I'll bless you. Now, will God bless us if we keep all the commandments? Of course. But when it comes to the Sabbath, it's a good, um, it's a good uh, story to use because Abraham didn't fully understand where he was going, but all he knew was God said he would bless him for keeping the Sabbath. Another one, of course, is um, John 14, 15. Who knows what John 14, 15 says? If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. So read the Bible verse where God asks for a decision. And um, so when, when it comes time for a decision. So I'm studying with Julie and it comes time for the decision. I don't want her to think that it's Kevin asking for the decision because really it's not. It's God that's asking her for the decision. So when we come to that, um, I would say, what is the question God is asking you in this verse? So I would say, turn to John 14, 15. Julie, what is God, what is the question God is asking you in this verse? What decision does God invite you to make as you read this verse? See, now it's God asking for the decision and not Kevin asking for the decision. Now, of course, in John 15, uh, 14, 15, what is God asking us to do? He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Julie, I know that you love God. And I know that you want to show God that you love him by keeping his commandments. Ellen White says one sentence of scripture is of more value than 10,000 of man's ideas or arguments. That's powerful. So one scripture is more value than 10,000 of my words or my ideas. Now that's what we want to use is scripture when gaining decisions. So when we, when we show Julie or whoever we're studying with that God is asking them to make the decision, it will be a lot easier. Then you invite them to respond to God as he speaks to them. So Julie, is it your desire to say yes to God as he has spoken to you through this verse? And so on and so forth. Do you want to join me in saying yes to God? Whenever I'm working with people, studying with them, and it comes time for a decision, I always put myself in that decision. So I want to be on the same level as people. So when it comes to a decision, I say, you know, I certainly want to make this decision. With the example with Dwight earlier, you know, I don't want to be deceived. I want to make sure that I'm not deceived. What about you, Dwight? Or Julie, what about you? I want to make this decision. So now you're putting yourself, it's, it's us making the decision. And so if we're making the decision rather than just that person, it's a lot easier for that person to make a decision. Um, and I apologize if I'm kind of going too fast, but I'm trying to get all this in and then we can have questions after. 
So we want to ask diagnostic questions to determine what hinders people. So what do you think about what we've learned today in our study? So we studied and then you asked this question, was it new to you, the Sabbath? Is it clear to you from the Bible that the seventh day is the Sabbath? And have you thought about keeping the Bible Sabbath before? Now when you ask these questions, you're going to see what issues there may be um, with, with the Sabbath or whatever it is you're studying with them. Now most of the time when you've studied with people and it comes time for say a testing truth and you're getting a decision, most of the time they don't need more information. That's not what they need. What they need is, uh, what we're going to see is there's issues in the heart that may prevent them from, from making a decision. So they need to act from the conviction that they have and um, through the desire that we've hopefully created to take that action. And when we ask these questions, a lot of things will come out that we can now begin to, um, to deal with, to help them. So if you were able to get Sabbaths off at work, would it be your desire to keep the Sabbath? So let's say we studied the Sabbath with them and we see there's an issue here and they say, well, I'll never be able to get Sabbaths off. Well, if you were able to get Sabbaths off, would then you desire to keep the Sabbath? And right here we can see if there's issues with uh, them with the Sabbath or if it really is because uh, of work or something else. Effective ways to answering objections. So let's say uh, people have objected to some things that we've studied with. This is what we call, and this is very simple, it's the 3F principle. Now the 3Fs are feel, felt, and found. So let's say you're studying with somebody and there's some um, objections to something. So again, the Sabbath will say, uh, Mary, I know exactly how you feel. Or many others have felt that way. Uh, or uh, many others feel the same way you have. And many others have felt the same exact way in your situation. But may I share with you, um, may I share with you what I have found? And so feel, felt, and found. What this does is I know how you feel, so now they're not alone, or many uh, have felt that way, so now they see that it's not just them, but many others have been um, in this same exact situation. Then if you share with them something, maybe a story in your own life um, with the Sabbath, or a story from somebody else's life in the Sabbath, then you can help them to make that decision. Let me give you a quick example. I was studying with somebody in California, and it was on the Sabbath. This woman owned a, um, she owned a little shop where they sold uh, souvenirs. It was the only souvenir shop in this area. We came across the Sabbath, we got to the Sabbath, and she learned that Saturday's the Sabbath. Problem, Saturday was her busiest day of the week. Well, she made the decision she was going to keep the Sabbath. So she made this big poster and put it on her door. She said, closed Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown because it's God's holy Sabbath day. So she posted that on her door. Well, she got flooded with phone calls. Her family, her friends saying, are you crazy? This is your busiest day and it's going to hurt the community because we all get business from people coming to your shop. What is wrong with you? You can't close on the Sabbath. And she said, well, whether it's going to hurt me or not, I don't know, but I know it's God's Sabbath day. So she kept the Sabbath. That first week, 
She kept the Sabbath in spite of her friends and family telling her she's crazy. She closed Saturday. She opened Sunday for the first time since she'd been in business. She comes in Sunday not knowing what to expect. Well, that Sunday, she had the busiest day she had ever had in the existence of her business. And so, did God bless her for keeping the Sabbath? So I share that story with people. So I know how you feel. Many have felt that way. But can I share with you what I found? And then I'll share that story. If somebody's struggling because of a, a money issue or a work issue, bam, that, that will help people to make that decision. No matter what the objection or how they say it, it is most important to respond how? In a Christ-like way. So this is the most important thing. And I can tell you a lot of times in the beginning of what I was doing, I did not respond in a Christ-like way. Now, I'll close with this text. It says, your success will not depend so much upon your knowledge and accomplishments as upon your ability to find your way where? To the heart. So if we can find our way to the heart with people, then we will be able to help them to make decisions. Um, let's close in prayer. We're running a little late here, and then we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back. Uh, Wes, did you have some words? Oh, okay. Then we're going to come back and do our last uh, portion of this, which will be question and answer. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, that, that you want us to be soul winners. I thank you that you've called us into the remnant church, Lord, to not because of us, uh, but because you love us, Lord. And so thank you that you've given us this privilege uh, to share this message with the whole world, the three angels' messages. And I thank you, Lord, that in, uh, on top of that, you show us how um, to use the best, best ways to help people to make decisions that will change their lives. Father, bless us, bless the rest of this convention here, and bless our time uh, in this next class. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.